are listening to Weird, Obscure, Impossibly Unsafe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just cracked it open. Cracking open a cold one. Crack this cold one open with the boys here. Yeah. Got my skateboard over my shoulder. <laughs> I guess you could say I'm just chilling. You're like a cool Steve Buscemi. Uh huh. Fitting in with the kids. What's up, fellow kids? Jake, have you ever actually been <laughs> on a skateboard? <laughs> yeah, actually, I tried to learn how to skateboard in middle school, but I couldn't even ollie. That's like level one ollie. Couldn't even do it. I think level one is just. <sighs> Going straight, getting. I wore that. I wore the shit out of some awesome knee pads, though. Oh, you were into it. Also, I just want to backtrack and say, I believe level one is getting onto the skateboard. Yes, because it's just gonna roll when you're standing on it. I did not make it that far. How far did you make it, Annabelle? You didn't even get on a skateboard. I got on it, but people had to hold my hands. <laughs> Is it one of those situations where you stepped on one side and it would flying out from you on the other side? No, like literally, like the skateboard would be in front of me and I would put one foot on and another foot on, but I had to be holding someone's hands. Gotcha. And so what you them. have there is actually a scooter. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. And the person... That's what you're describing. And the other person's hands are my handlebars. Yeah, so if somebody had just... Instead of having their hands had actually put a bar on the skateboard and you could hold on to that. Yeah. That would have been good. Oh, I can ride the shit out of a scooter. Yeah. I was just thinking, what if you got, you were on the skateboard with your feet, but you had a walker with wheels on the bottom? <laughs> could that work? It's like a more elaborate two-part scooter. <laughs> but it's more balanced because the scooter would just have like one point of contact in the front, one point of contact in the back, but... Walker's I'm saying with those two. razor scooters though, looks are a little deceiving. Like you feel very grounded on a razor scooter. Did anybody ever play that game for N64 called Razor Scooter? No, no. I didn't even. It know was <laughs> it was like Tony Hawk, but it was razor scooters, and um, you would do like razor scootering and half pipes in the sky. I've never heard of this. What? Whenever I think Razor Scooter, I think yeah. of trying to play yeah, like yeah. the Skip It game, but then it swings back and around it and it always shocks. hits. Oh, it always hits your ankles. That's yeah. the worst. I know. All right. <sighs> Anna Marie. My wife. What's up? Well, as you know, all too well, my car broke down. And that's thing. been something that we've been dealing with for <laughs> the past week. It's been... It's been a hellscape. It's been a hellscape and a half. But you know, I and I want I want to thank you, Melissa, for being there when I broke down and had to get dropped off at my car's dealership at like right at closing time, and you were there to pick me up. And then, not only did you pick me up, but then we got tacos, and then we went to go see The Grudge. Yes, very awful movie. That movie was so... <laughs> yeah, I heard really it wasn't good. good. It was... Oh, it really sucked really hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I try to find some glimmer of goodness, and it it really, really... Uh, it bombed. It was hard. Yeah. The only thing that was good, and I was... Re- I, like, watched... 
the Grudge not that long ago, like the original one, to mm-hmm. compare it with the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. And I feel like it really hit the nail on the head with like the aesthetic, and that was literally it. The yeah. acting was so awful. I just didn't want to hear anything anyone had to say. The pacing was so disturbing because it didn't make any sense. I could just go on and on about this. Yeah, I just gotta say, aesthetics go a long way with me. I mean, I'm sure The Grudge is awful, but now that you said that, I'm interested in at least... Visually it, it, Maybe when it comes out for free somewhere, taking a, taking a look. Yeah, I, I think my, my biggest problem with it was that it treated the viewer as if we needed to be told everything explicitly oh it wasn't smart no it didn't tr- i feel like the visuals were enough but then someone would say oh you're my mother and i'd be like <laughs> okay well we get it like, you're the only child in this house with this person we kind of figured that out yeah like, but do you guys I'm, I'm just curious do you think that it actually is uh treating viewers as if they're dumb or do you guys think that you two especially are so saturated in I think it horror didn't. movies that I just I don't think it's that we're saturated and we know too much no. and can figure out the plot. <laughs> you guys I think are if just anything too intelligent. I think uh, if anything we're able to pick up like a very subtle plot and this one was like the farthest from subtle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it had yeah. to lay everything out and someone had to tell you and even something where it was super obvious like this is the this is the thing they're referring to in the past. They would do a visual flashback. Be like, "Oh, that's the body we found." But like Yes, that's what this whole... Uh, yeah, gotcha. and it would be like so a flashback to something that we had already seen in the movie. Yeah. So it was just like doubling up on that. Yeah, something we'd already seen. Content. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it was a good night of friendship. It was so fun. And, and condescending was... films. Yeah. And but we the... hiked earlier that day too. That we was did. a long We hike. spent the whole day together. Yeah, it was fun. It was good times. Um, good times. It was warm that day. Yeah. Jake, you were not there. Would you like to tell us where you where were? Where were you? <laughs> Why were you there? <laughs> so I was on a I was on a retreat, a silent retreat. It was eight days long. It was very intense. It was very good. That's really the extent to which I can really And you can't report on I it. think the I mean, weirdest part to me was that you can't look at anyone's eyes. Yeah, well true? you're you're trying well, basically you're trying to avoid communicating with your fellow retreatants there although you can communicate like with the staff or whatever um just to sort of everybody wants to protect everybody else's silence you know you don't Mm -hmm. want you don't want to be in a in a place of silent solitude and silence and then somebody like asking to like borrow your pen or something and it just like Basically, what what ended up happening is the less that you communicate with each other, the less that the sort of trivialities of social etiquette and things no longer mattered. So you didn't have to think about, like, was I awkward around that person? Did I say the right thing to that person? Did I, mm. did I interact the right way? Was I rude? Whatever. None of those questions are in your mind. You still got to know everybody. That was what was really strange is that I was vi- we were all very... We all knew each other very well by the end of the week. That's so cool. And you never spoke but to them. You never spoke, never gestured, 
At the very know. end, did you speak? Like, yeah, we well, spoke at the nice end. Yeah, we you. spoke on the first day. I wanted day. to tell you that you had something yeah. in your nose <laughs> or, uh, the whole time. Yeah, we spoke on the first day. We spoke on the last day, and it was it was very it was a very yeah powerful experience. It was very intense. It was very hard. Mm, but, sounds um, like a beautiful experience. It was it, it was beautiful. It was in Sewanee, Tennessee, and it was on a bluff overlooking a big valley. And uh, yeah, it was just it was very pretty. Um, again. Very hard, very intense, but very worth it. Cool. A lot of transformation and challenge. Sounds like happening. a once in a lifetime experience. Uh yeah. It's once a year for a lot of these people. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would ever do it. Once in a You could try it if you want. I mean I think I have a problem. I don't think I talk too much when I don't I, I don't know. I just yeah. feel empty space was talking and I think I would fail pretty quickly. Or no, it well, it's scared. not about failing. It's it's oh. about it's about like what that space forces you to confront in yourself. Gotcha. You know. Mm-hmm. So, what would be interesting is what you would find that you're scared of that you're trying to cover up with speaking all the time, because you would have to confront that, and gotcha. you'd have to confront that for seven days. All right. Well. So that's how it horrifying. gets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's how it gets. That's how it gets intense. Does anyone mess up? Well, I mean, people said thank you when you opened a door for them sometimes or uh, something like that. But it wasn't like they were like wanting to punish you for breaking the rules or something like gotcha. that. It was just kind of we were all cooperating to like agree that this is the silence that we're keeping okay. and whatever. So That's pretty cool though. Yeah. Yeah, so. Because I imagine it would take a while to get, at least a, a day, a couple hours to get used to not opening your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely have a reflex of like saying thank you whenever people open the door for me or whatever, or saying excuse saying, me when I oh can I I, <laughs> I don't know if this is appropriate. I never told you this story. Oh, I boy. just remembered it. My <laughs> the first thing I did at the retreat was as I was walking down the hallway. It was totally silent. Nobody was there. I like farted really loud. Like not, not like on purpose, but Are just not like supposed to make fart sounds. No, <laughs> oh it doesn't God. matter. It doesn't matter. I was like, oh, but nobody's around. Like whatever. And I turn the corner, and the whole room is just full of people, like totally silent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So that was like day one or day two. Great rather. first impression. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been thinking about that moment for the entirety <laughs> oh of the retreat yeah. after that. That's so funny. So oh. we all, but we all got to know each other very well. So. <laughs> very, very yeah. well. Oh my god! Awesome. Well, Melissa, is there anything else that you want to add? Or nope. Okay, great. Okay, so let me tell you the story of the first ghost to testify in American court. The Greenbrier Ghost. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so this is kind of a wild story, but as you will soon find out, the ghost actually was not present in the courtroom. It was more of like a testimony of a person who saw a ghost, used that information that the ghost gave her in court. All right, let's get into it. Wow. Okay, I'm okay. in. So the sources for this are West Virginia Archives and History from their website, um, which had court, doc- court documents and news articles from the time period. An article by Dave Tabler on AppalachianHistory.net, or Appalachian, however you say it. 
an article on WestVirginiaEncyclopedia.com written by Dennis J. Dietz and a Generation Y podcast episode um, about the Green Briar ghost. So in 1897, Zona Heaster Shue appeared from beyond the grave to testify as a witness to her own death in Greenbrier, West Virginia. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the 1890s, but let me, <laughs> <laughs> but let me take you back I to the I love the 90s. <laughs> let me take you back. Some things I found out about this time period is apparently there was some sort of economic distress. There was a, a minor depression after the Panic of 1893, and there were strikes, and with the industrial workforce, the car was being developed. It wasn't really a car, so that... That helps you with history time frame. Um, weirdly, it was called the mauve decade because dye in the color mauve was in fashion. Also called the gay 90s because it was a time of merriment and optimism. Um, and this was just before the Smer- Spanish-American War. Wow, a lot going on. Yeah, oh my gosh. I also forgot to mention it's called the Gilded Age as well because oh seemingly profitable era riddled with crime and poverty. So some people thought it was a really nice time. Everything was mauve-colored, but a lot of poverty and crime. Okay. A lot of tycoons and moguls. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people really wealthy. Whenever I think of the Gilded Age, I just think of... Today? Uh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I think just going to school in Newport, Rhode Island, where mm-hmm. like all of the mansions are just plastered everywhere. And it's like, these were people's summer homes, and they're like... At least 10 to 20 times the size of the house I grew up in. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they're giant. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh. But like, everything's like Gilded Age this, Gilded Age that, so. Yeah, wow. Well, that's kind of how this goes. I mean, the people we're talking about are not like that rich. <laughs> so this is kind end. of like, yeah, the opposite end. All right. So Elva Zona Heaster was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia in 1873. Um, there's not really much known about what she was like growing up, or uh, and there's no real records of her youth. But what we do know is in 1895, when she was 22, she gave birth to a child out of wedlock, which is a pretty big deal back in the 1890s. Uh, one year later, Zona met a drifter named Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. Wow, what a name! I am. Um, we're just I gonna call like him that's Trout. Made up. <laughs> he his his first name is Erasmus, but he went by Edward. I'm going to call him Trout or Shoe most of the time because I think Wait, that's funnier. Is that a hyphenated last name? No. It's just like four words next to each other. <laughs> trout Shoe. Okay. Erasmus Stribbling Trout Shoe. Nice. Does Sounds local... like you're speaking in a code. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, he worked as a blacksmith in the local shop owned by James Crookshanks. Which I want to mention because that's um, Hermione's cat's name. I was going to say, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Despite objection by Zona's mother, who is Mary Jane Heaster, Zona and Trout fell in love and they soon got married. In the beginning, they got along great and it appeared that they were much in love, but this was short-lived. Only a few months later, Zona's body was discovered at the bottom of the staircase at their home by a neighbor boy hired to help Zona with chores around the house. Oh my gosh. Um, that very morning, Trout Shoe went to Martha Jones's house, who was a neighbor, and he hired her 11-year-old son, Anderson, to go to back to his house and deliver some eggs to Zona, who had been feeling ill lately. Before I move on, I want to explain, who is Trout Shoe? Please, I 
I need to know. <laughs> With a name like that, what's he been up to? Yeah. Uh, before moving to Greenbrier County, Trout was married twice before. His first marriage ended in divorce, with his wife accusing him of great cruelty. That was in the 1880s, so you can only imagine if she was able to divorce him, like, how cruel he must have actually been. His second wife died under mysterious circumstances, less Mm. than a year after they got married. And then while married to Zona, his third wife, Trout, started talking freely with people about how he wished to marry seven women in his lifetime. And so then there's a book... With a similar title of, like, The Man Who Wanted Seven Wives or something like that. Yeah, I think we know what Mr. Trouchy was up to. Oh, yeah. He had some plans for... Seven wife wives. number three. <laughs> okay, so back to Anderson, who found Zona dead. After he found her body dead at the, end of the, at the bottom of the stairs, he ran home to tell his mother what he had found... The boy's mother told him to go find Trout at the blacksmith shop, inform him of the bad news, um, and then she would go and summon the local doctor. The boy's mom and Trout arrived at the shoe home at the same about the same time. Meanwhile, um, while they were waiting for the doctor to arrive, Trout carried his wife up the stairs into the bedroom, laid out her body on the bed, and then he washed and started to prepare her for burial, um, which is very odd for the time because at this time period, you wouldn't like call a coroner necessarily um for every death you would family and friends would come and help the most bereaved person so that you yourself didn't have to like prepare your beloved person to for for burial Mm -hmm. Um, so this was very odd that he did this himself before the coroner or even a doctor even arrived to see what was going on with the body Hmm. highly suspect highly suspect so he dressed zona in a high neck dress with a stiff collar and he placed a veil over her face. He also tied like a bow, multi- like a, a scarf or a bow, a couple times around her neck. Which is kind of weird. Okay, so an hour later, I'm corner. Calling it, I'm calling it. He broke her neck and threw her down the stairs. I think you might be on to something. Hey. So an hour later, coroner Dr. George Knapp arrived to examine the body. Um, though Shu would not leave Zona's body the entire time, he was... Dr. Knapp reported that Shu was stricken with grief. He was cradling Zona's head and he like wouldn't leave her side. So and that the doctor couldn't get to the head. Yeah. So right? he was like cradling her and he was like, he seemed very, very upset. The doctor did a minor exam and could see that there was some bruising on her neck. Um, and I think there was like a little bit of a bruise on her face, but that's really all he could see. Dr. Knapp um, initially decided that the cause of death was everlasting faint, which is like a heart attack or like you're too f- woman-y, so you fall down and die for no reason. <laughs> As we do, yes. But you this die is... from being too woman-y. <laughs> but have you ever heard of a man dying of everlasting faint? A heart attack? Well, it's not, it didn't say heart attack. It's they different. wrote it as like you fainted. Oh, yeah. Um, like, like the world is just too much to handle. I just swooned to death. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just everlasting faint. I just like picture someone just falling back infinitely <laughs> with like their hand on their forehead. I'm just going, oh. It sounds like a Pokemon special ability. It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. If you use everlasting faint, yeah. your opponent hmm. get becomes too womanly to live. And falls down the stairs, apparently. (laughs) He later decided that the cause of death was due to childbirth because he had been treating her for female trouble, quote unquote, um, for two weeks before she died. That's what the everlasting faint is, though. 
see, I, see, it's this all is, female trouble. It's, it's all just, woman problems. Do, you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really complicated being a woman. Mm-hmm. You just never know what's going to happen. You never know I which like... fate is going to be your last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like low-key misogyny is just going to be a recurring theme. Well, because when the we world look in history, sucks. Yeah. yeah. All these exactly. historical topics. When we, we look, look in at. history, when we look in the present, when we look at anything. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Well, there's one <sighs> right. BA mom in this who oh, really, nice. you know, is the hero of the story. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Nice. Okay. So... Like I said, Trout would not leave the side of the recent, his recently deceased wife, and his behavior began to make people very suspicious. During the wake, he did not let people come very close to the coffin. Again, he continued to stay next to her body. People commented that her neck, Zona's neck, seemed to be very loose, and her head would kind of roll from side to side when it was not supported. Shu ended up placing a pillow on one side of her head and a scrunched up blanket on the other to kind of keep her head in the middle from rolling around. Um... Again, that scarf was timed around his neck and or tied around Zona's neck as like, you know, something to bury her with. And he said it was her favorite scarf. But, you know, the mom did not. Mary Heaster did not think that was very normal. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, um, Zona was buried in the local cemetery. When transporting the body to the cemetery, several people noticed that um, her neck was slack, like while they were carrying her to, the, to her grave. Um, Mary Jane Heaster, Zona's mom, kept a sheet from inside the coffin. I think this was tradition or something um, that she was able to take that. She offered it to Trout Shoe. I'm not really sure why, if that's tradition, to take things out of coffins and give them to the spouse, but she did. He denied it, which really, really shocked her and it offended her. Um, and she was really upset about that. So immediately, you know, Zona's mother suspected that Trout Shu was to blame for the death of her daughter. Man. Also, sorry, this is something I just kind of got hung up on. So, they would take things from the coffin, like, like pieces of the... I don't know. Of it? The mom just pulled, huh. a, like, a bed sheet or something that was in the coffin and was like, hey, this I is see. important. Like, maybe it was just, like, a memento to remember her daughter. Right. Like and something. she thought Trout would want it, and he was like, get that away. Gotcha. So something that was probably, like, physically close to the body at yeah. that point. Okay. There's no explanation for that. I'm just assuming that it was, like, a tradition or, like... Yeah. Oh. That seems right. Yeah, I don't know. All right, here's when we get to the spooky stuff. Mary Heaster washed that sheet and was horrified when the water in the basin turned blood red, and then the water cleared. Um, she took this as a sign that her daughter was murdered, so she thought this was kind of a premonition. Zona Heaster Shoe's death was initially deemed natural causes or an accident, so no one was charged with her murder. Yet. Hmm. Every evening for weeks, Mary prayed for answers. Uh, one month after the funeral, Mary Heaster began to have visions where her daughter appeared before her in the dress she was buried in. Over the course of four nights, the apparition of Zona told her mother about the cruelty and abuse she endured at the hands of Trout Shoe. Mary said that Zona told her that Shoe attacked her in a fit of rage, upset that she did not cook any meat with dinner. She had prepared dinner, but there was no meat, so she decided, so he attacked her. Um, Wait, wait, what? (laughs) So Zona prepared dinner for Trout, but there wasn't any meat. That's what the, the the ghost of Zona is telling Mary. So that's, but that's what 
triggered him to to kill her. Not well, enough meat. Not enough meat. Oh, um, man. And weirdly enough, Zona's spirit spun its head around until it was facing backwards, telling her mother that she broke her neck that faithful day. So over the course of four days, it kind of progressed. Like the first day, she wasn't able to say as much. She just kind of like peered. And at by the fourth day, she, I think by the third day, she just was spinning her neck around and the mom was like terrified. But by the fourth day, she said everything that happened. And the reason that she could spin her head around was because of the, um, that her neck had been broken. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, can you imagine seeing that? Yeah. That'd be so scary. That's terrifying. This mom doesn't sound afraid. She sounds like she was wanting to hear from her daughter. And yeah. her daughter came in, spoke to her, and she yeah. was grateful for it to yeah. find out what happened. Well, she was a woman on a mission. Oh, she yeah. Was, she was suspicious of that trout shoe man yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, she did not like him. Mama Bear's hunting some trout. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Mary Heaster was convinced... She believed that her daughter had been murdered and she wanted Trout Shoe to pay for what he did. Mary visited the prosecutor in the town, John Alfred Preston, and spent several hours trying to convince him to reopen the case. Eventually he did and police began re-interviewing witnesses. Despite protests from Trout Shoe, Dr. Knapp exhumed Zona's body and spent three days examining it. Don't know why I took that long. The autopsy matched what Zona's ghost had said to Mary Heaster. Her neck was indeed broken, her windpipe was crushed, and there were finger marks on the neck. The serious damage done to Zona's neck made it obvious that she had been murdered, and Trout Shoe was soon tried for her murder. Got him! Got him! June 22nd, 1897, the trial begins with Mary Jane Heaster as the star witness. The Greenbrier ghost was never mentioned by the prosecution and did not play into the case necessarily, The prosecutor, John Preston, tried to keep Mary's testimony to the facts, but she insisted on sharing her spooky experiences when she was cross-examined by the defense attorney. She would not waver on her account despite intense questioning and haranguing. Okay, so I have some court record quotes. I don't know if... You You went back to the records themselves? Yeah, there's available. Oh, wow. I, I don't know if we, you guys want to like do some, like, uh, if you guys can. You want to reenact the court courtroom? Ooh, yeah. Maybe I can. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. Yeah, well, I have like a question and answer. Ooh, so if yeah. someone wants to read the. Cool. All right. So Jake and Anna Marie are going to act out a, um, a snippet from the trial. <clears throat> Jake is going to be the this prosecutor. This is the 1890s? The 1890s, West Virginia. Oh, Lord. Get your southern accent ready. Well, yeah. Okay. So Jake's going to be the prosecutor, Anna Marie, Mary Heaster. And there will be no southern accent? Okay. It will just... Well, West Virginia is not really a southern town place. That's, that's true. It's uh... Give me your best. Or what I, a, give me your I'm, best. Well, so I'm a prosecutor, acting. so I'm like I'm I'm like high society kind of guy, yeah. right? So like I'm a city slicker from out of town. Yeah. All right, you guys ready? I'm just a woman <laughs> who can faint at any moment. <laughs> These like are not a ticking time bomb. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> All right. So what are we speaking in reference to here? So. This is a, a snippet from the trial, a portion where the defense attorney is cross-examining Mary Heaster, trying to 
get her to admit, kind of, and explain away the spirit that she saw, which was her daughter. Okay. And was this not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? (laughs) No, sir. It was no dream, for I was as wide awake as I ever was. Then if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? I prayed to the Lord that she might come back and tell me what had happened, and I prayed that she might come herself and tell on him. Do you think that you actually saw her in flesh and blood? Yes, sir. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yes, sir, I do. I told them the very dress that she was killed in, and when she went to leave me, she turned her head completely around and looked at me like she wanted me to know all about it. I do declare. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. But yeah, that was just, that they really pressured her to admit that it was um, a figment of her imagination. She went down to that prosecutor, demanded that they reopen the case. It was because of her that they looked into it again. And there was many people in the community that also really got on the bandwagon of like this ghost appeared and they really hated shoe for what he did yeah they hated that shoe <laughs> um damn that shoe believe it or not she was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison people wait. were pissed wait she was she was oh i shoe. thought you said she i was like wait what did mary no. easter do so trout shoe was found guilty and okay. sentenced to life in prison uh, people were pissed he wasn't going to die for what he did. A lynch mob <laughs> formed and attempted to overrun the jail and hang Trout Shoe for what he did. The mob disbanded by the deputy at sheriff and then people were, mob organizers were face, facing charges. So they did protect him and he just spent the rest of his life in prison. And I think he died from tuberculosis. To this day, you know, it's common folklore in West Virginia, especially in Greenbrier County, that Zona Heaster Shoes ghost came back to her mother to share what really happened to her and this testimony from a ghost helped convict her murderer and find justice so man amazing yeah, yeah that's it that was very that was nice. a very weird story and i when i initially read this i thought that the ghost was going to be on the stand <laughs> and they were going to be questioning the ghost but this is still just as just as exciting the ghost there with the head spinning around <laughs> yeah that's like some exorcist style yeah stuff yeah so last week Anna Maria got to do a Massachusetts grown story actually not Massachusetts just New England it was Rhode Island Ro- Rhode Island is Rhode the... Island part of New England it is right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it was just yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of everything it was a little bit of, you went to college in Rhode Island so yeah. it's like Kind of from from part of your childhood, you know. Yeah, it's part of part of my life. Not childhood. I lived there for four you, years. What would you call it? My <laughs> late adolescence, early adulthood. Yes, some real formative years. <laughs> Glad we <laughs> old times, <laughs> old good times. Uh, so I'm gonna do something from the Carolinas this week. Nice. And uh, the best title I could find was two Carolina Railroad ghost lights. Did you just Google search the Carolinas? (laughs) It's just that I had these two separate stories, but they're both similar. And also I have an anecdote of one of my friends who saw one of these things. What? I'm so, so So, into it. 
I'm going to start with what is called the Ravenel Lights. So this is a town in South Carolina over sort of near Charleston. So the sources for these stories were mostly Wikipedia for the second one. Uh, this one is, is from a website called townofravenel.com, and Jordy Buxton wrote, wrote up a nice little article on this. And then, and then a first-hand account from one of my buddies, and we'll get to that. All right, so the Ravenel Lights. So there are these tracks, train tracks behind this old Baptist church in Ravenel, South Carolina, where the railroad turns right before a highway. And it is said that three lights appear and move up and down these tracks and then disappear and then reappear closer to you if you're standing on the tracks. And then when they reach the corner, they just kind of fade away. And sometimes there's like a wind or like ghostly images or something. It's also said that if you want to see these lights you have to go to this baptist church right where the right where and knock on the door three times before you get on the tracks kind of weird so do people go there to summon it yeah people go there to see see these people go there to see these lights oh cool and it has to be on a on a moonless night so extra dark extra Mm -hmm. dark if you knock on the doors of the baptist church you get on the railroad tracks and you head toward town Mm -hmm. as you come to the bend in the tracks the Ravenel lights flash like a signal while moving closer to you. So there's a little legend that goes along with these appearances, which is that at the same Baptist church, there's three unmarked graves there. Mm-hmm. And it's said that, that these graves belong to three men who basically wanted to go on a joyride on a coal car. What? Right <laughs> by the... Right <laughs> on those tracks, but that uh-huh. the... um. The tracks hadn't been actually properly fastened around that bend yet because they were still sort of a work in progress, but they were so happy about the economic prosperity that this railroad was going to bring to them and their town that they decided to take it for a test drive. Once they hit the bend, the tracks kind of came undone and they crashed into a fiery explosion. So oh were gosh. they on one of those like lever thingies where like you're pushing on one side and one's pushing on the other side? I don't think so because I think it was coal powered. Oh okay, not cartoon powered. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, so yeah, the car burst into flames, incinerating all three men. Oh my gosh! Wow. Oh. Coal. So awful. Yeah. So some people that have gone there and done this thing, gone and whatever, knocked, knocked and whatever. Um, claim that their cars have been pelted by unseen objects and have found handprints and stuff all over their vehicles when they get back. That's creepy. That's weird. Wow. Yeah. I don't like that one. Um, I w- didn't really, f- I couldn't figure out how that ties into the legend, really. Hmm. Okay, but that's one light. Okay. Now, I started with that because that's the lesser known one, the mm-hmm. Ravenel lights. Now, the Mako lights are a lot more famous. They're in North Carolina. So the Mako light was another one of these ghost lights seen between the 1800s and 1977 along a section of railroad track near Mako Station, North Carolina. And it's said to kind of look like a railroad lantern. So people thought that the light had something to do with a guy named Joe Baldwin, 
who was a train conductor and was decapitated in a railroad crash near Mako in the late 1800s. The sort of, I guess, standard telling of the story is that Joe Baldwin was in the caboose of a train in 1867 that was somehow detached from the rest of the train, and another train was following behind him. So there's there's two trains. The caboose of the first one is detached. Mm-hmm. Another one is, is coming. So Joe Baldwin ran to the rear platform and was trying to wave a lantern to signal the oncoming train to stop. The engineer didn't see it in time, and then Baldwin was decapitated in the <gasps> collision. Oh my gosh. And some say that Baldwin's head was never found. After the accident, residents of Mako and the railroad employees reported sightings of a white light running along a section of railroad track through the swamps west of Mako Station, and word spread that Joe Baldwin had returned in search of his missing head. What? It sounds like every ghost story that my grandparents ever told me. (laughs) So, yeah, it definitely, like, sounds like a tall tale. It's kind of... Sounds like a folk tale, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So the light was said to appear in the distance before approaching along the tracks facing east, bobbing at a height of about five feet. So it almost, like, to me, feels like if it's bobbing at the height of five feet, bobbing like feels like it's walking yeah. and five feet is like, especially in the 1890s, mm-hmm. like that's human this height. This is in the 1890s. Yeah. 1800s at least oh. somewhere. I think I just said 1890s cause I was thinking about the gilded age. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that to the me 80s. sounds like somebody walking, you know, yeah. like the or head of somebody like, walking. I don't know where the light would be. Would it be at the top or would it be like at the middle of the train? I don't know, but trains don't bob though, you know. Well, I mean, if it's, it's not bobbing, perfectly flat. It's like, that's something means something's it's wrong. Like a, it's like that's a what walking I human. Like a sauntering human. Sauntering, yes, these sauntering <laughs> yeah. lights with attitude. <laughs> they're they're strutting down oh the tracks. Yeah, flaunting their stuff. Okay, <laughs> so so they bob at about a height of eight of five feet and either fly to the side of the track in an arc or are always receding from the viewer so if you're walking it's always staying at the same distance ahead of you now that's creepy i think i would want to find out what the light was and if you just never reached it yeah it's like always at the same distance Hmm. oh but as soon as you turn around it's right behind you here's what's funny the trains had occasionally been stopped or delayed due to the activities of this light which could be seen from and had been seen from locomotive cabs right so it's not just somebody making stuff up like people's business is being disrupted yeah by these lights so they became popular across the region and by the 50s and 60s it became a local pastime to park by the tracks at night to try and glimpse the phenomenon and Life magazine even published an article on these in 1957. The most common explanation that I found for these type of lights, which are, it seems similar between Mako and Ravenel, right? The most common explanation was that there was the swamp gases somehow had a sort of phosphorescent glow to them Ooh. or it could be somehow ignited in some way. Mm-hmm. To where they appeared to be sort of just floating gas, yeah. floating floating spirit material, it looked like. Hmm. Hmm. We'll, we'll come back to that. 
Now, as to the veracity of the legend itself, there's no record of an 1867 accident. There's no record of Joe Baldwin. However, there was a guy named Charles Baldwin who died in January 1856 in a locomotive accident. He wasn't decapitated, but he was injured and he died from his injuries. And the coroner blamed Baldwin for failing to hang a lantern uh, on the train to alert the engineer. So it seems pretty feasible that this story could have developed into the kind of Joe Baldwin searching for his head story. Especially with the lantern. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, the lantern being there. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. So the railroad moved the track in 1977. A trestle bridge related to the legend was destroyed. And nobody saw the Mako lights anymore because this section of the track was gone. Like I said, the light was never formally explained, but it was often thought to be the result of marsh gas from nearby swamps or the refraction of lights from a highway. That's really interesting. Yeah, so my my buddy Eric, shout outs to Eric, what up? My friend Eric saw the Ravenel lights. And so we're about to hear a true story? Yeah, this is a this is a true story. I was talking to my friend Eric today. I was going to do a different topic today, and then I got into it and realized that I could not cover it. And so I called Eric, and I was like, hey, man, what should I do on the podcast? And he was like, oh, let me tell you something weird that happened to me. Trains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you not into trains? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so my friend, so this is near Charleston. My, my friend Eric said him and some friends went out on the railroad track between about 8.30 and 9 p.m. This is probably to, between 2011 and 2013 at some point. So in, in the fall. And they walked about 15 or 20 minutes. And he said they all saw a hovering globe. And it hung around for about 20 minutes. As they were walking straight it would stay exactly the same distance away. Weird. So you couldn't, so you would back up and it would back up, you would go forward and it would go forward. But it would only show up when the ra- the, there was a very long, very straight section of railroad and you could hmm. see it in the distance. And now when a curve came up, it would disappear. And when they would go around the curve and come to another section of very long, very straight railroads, mm-hmm. it would reappear. And it would always be receding as they were walking toward it. That's so crazy. Wow. Yeah. He said he he didn't feel scared. He said he felt extremely intrigued. Hmm. Goosebumps so, a little bit. <laughs> well, so this is playing into, like, one of my, like, irrational fears is, like, really long, really straight hallways. Weird, okay. Yeah. Not like irrational fears, it's just like an image that creeps me out. It's definitely one that's used in movies sometimes, and it can be really For creepy sure. if it's used yeah. right. Well, Like I, the Shining style. Yeah, so I trace it back to the Haunted Mansion at, um, at Disney, Universe, yeah. you know? <laughs> I read that, I, I wrote that as a little kid, and there is this part of it where there's a really long, really straight hallway... And I think it's done with mirrors and optical mm-hmm. illusions and stuff. And then way down at the end of it, there's this candlestick that's just floating there. But you can't really see that. Like, you can't really see enough to see, like, any detail because it's so far away. 
Yeah. And it just feels like you're completely exposed, like in this hallway. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like there's nowhere to go except forward. Yeah. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that, but yeah. I don't like it. Well, there's no escape. Like if right. you're forced to go in one direction, you don't have an option. Right, right. There's yeah. no way out. That's why scary rides are good because like, like with that, you're forced to go forward towards it. Yeah. And you can't really see it all the way, but you just keep getting closer and closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, though, this image of this receding mm-hmm. globe of light that that's and he said he said it was like not a bright light. It was almost like gray looking and it, and it's always staying at the same distance away from you. And no matter where you're headed, like no matter how fast you're headed, it's always going away from you. Hmm. Like, it's elusive, you know? Yeah. But, like, that's freaky to me. I don't know what's up, but well, that's freaky. I feel like it, in some ways, it know like, it knows where you are and where it is in relation to you. Right. That's another creepy thought. So it's aware. Yeah. Yeah. Of your position. Yeah. So, yeah, was he actually like on the original tracks? I know you said they moved the tracks. Did he go to the original ones? Oh, so that was the North Carolina tracks that they moved. They never moved the Ravenel. Oh, he tracks. was on the Ravenel. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, so, yeah I was up. just doing these together because they're very similar. Gotcha. But yeah, Eric was, was near Ravenel. I don't think he was at that exact bend, but gotcha. he saw these lights. Maybe if you weren't looking for a ghost... Maybe anyone else out there that saw that, I think that could be confused for like UFO activity. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so there are explanations, or not even explanations. There are like this shows up in folklore a mm-hmm. lot. It's called the Latin name is Ignus Fatus, which I know I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it basically translates to fool's fire. Uh, it's also known as the Willow the Wisp or the Jack o' Lantern. And <laughs> in folklore, it's often thought to be a malevolent, a malevolent or mischievous spirit, or the spirit of unbaptized people trying to lead you to water in hopes of being baptized. Man, water's dangerous. So yeah, trains. Turns yeah. out, <laughs> in some Nordic and Irish sources, it is thought to be that these these lights are thought to hang above deeply buried treasure that you can only dig up while the light is there. And some say that you need a hand of glory in order to get the what? get the treasure, so which cool. which I heard somebody might be covering on this podcast later. Is it Anna But uh, <laughs> one of our dinner conversations. Yeah, somebody so so just just as a quick gloss, a hand of glory is just something that you cut off a guy that was hanged. You you cut off his mm-hmm. left hand or something. There's all kinds of weird beliefs and uses and practices surrounding these hands that people obtain from from hanged men. I learned that from Buffy. Oh, really? <laughs> See, I never glory? watched Buffy or Supernatural, so I feel like you guys have Buffy. just like so much of an advantage. You would need to watch Buffy. Yeah. I've never seen Buffy either. You guys, oh. there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into the idea of watching Supernatural, though. Supernatural's yeah. good. Just Buffy's better than Supernatural. <laughs> All right, so many believe that this type of phenomenon is either electrically caused or caused, again, like I said, like three times, by the burning of marsh gases. But personally, I, that doesn't seem right based on what I read and like what Eric said mm-hmm. about these things, especially because of the way that, it, like you were saying, it seems to 
interact intelligently with you or seems to seems to always be receding. And so here here's something from 1891, <gasps> the Gilded Age, the gay 90s, <laughs> the gay 90s. Um, is an, this is an example of criticism of the sort of marsh gas hypothesis by an American anthropologist named John G. Owens. And he writes, quote, This is a name that sometimes is applied to a phenomenon perhaps more frequently called Jack O. the Lantern or Will O. the Wisp. It seems to be a ball of fire varying in size from that of a candle flame to that of a man's head. It is generally observed in damp, marshy places moving to and fro, but it has been known to stand perfectly still and send off scintillations. As you approach it, it will move on, keeping just beyond your reach. If you retire, it will follow you. That these fireballs do occur, and that they will repeat your motion seems to be established, but no satisfactory explanation has yet been offered that I have heard. Those who are less superstitious say that it is the ignition of the gases rising from the marsh. But how a light produced from burning gas could have, been, could have the form described and move as described, advancing as you advance, receding as you recede, and at other times remaining stationary without having any visible connection with the earth is not clear to me. And I echo that sentiment. I... I personally, it seems to me, as I was also talking to Eric a little more, it, he seemed to think that it felt more like a mirage type that's illusion. What, okay, that's the yeah. what I was thinking it was. Yeah, because like it, it, it seems more like it would have to be an optical illusion. Yeah. Right? That there's some thing, and maybe marsh gases have to do with it in some way, but it but it, it, it's something about like how you yourself maybe are seeing or perceiving or how light reflects off of certain gases in certain ways. But like the actual fireball itself is a sort of optical illusion Mm -hmm. that, and and that would make sense of why it would require such a straight, straight, long Mm -hmm. sort of stretch of railroad in order for these things to manifest. Mm -hmm. So, but listeners, I'm, open to hearing your experiences of these sorts of lights and being uh being told otherwise so i know my friend trip has some weird stories about lights too so yeah yeah that's so cool i really like that quote i feel like it really helped me picture yeah that guy i mean thinking about i don't what i don't know what a jack o lantern is i thought it was these it's these type of interesting Sort so, of ghost fire phenomenon. Very wow. cool. And then we make them. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how that connection happened, but that's pretty cool. Round and full of light. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. But yeah. I'm. I'm on team optical illusion mirage. I think it has to. I do think with, I am for right now. I think it has to do with something refracting, and maybe if it's. I don't know if it's always hot or if it just has to do with the gases. Oh, so there were some accounts that. Um, that it didn't emit heat at all. Okay. So there, because I know if you obviously you guys have been outside when it's hot before and like the wavy lines, <laughs> like in yeah, the distance, like yeah. that's exactly. what I'm picturing. Yeah. And if there's something far enough away, or I don't know. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. I'm no physicist. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what do so you think, Anna Marie? Yeah. I mean, it's fun to think that it's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said in the last episode, we're not here to be critical 
or even trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. We're just here to have fun. So I'm going to say it's a ghost. It's That's a ghost. fun. I think moral of the story is don't walk on train tracks. Stay away from trains. Unless you want to have fun. By being <laughs> hit by a train. Or by seeing a ghost. Or by being decapitated. Ooh. Ooh. And then or- becoming a ghost. There you go. It all comes back to ghosts. Speaking of fun with ghosts, this episode, I will be talking about ectoplasm. Stop. Ecto what? (laughs) Ectoplasm. Ecto what? (laughs) And my sources (laughs) are, of course, Wikipedia. Of course. Uh, Of course, every time. Um, An article from the Epoch Times... A website called notebookofghosts.com, Cabinet Magazine, occultworld.com, and ThoughtCo. All right. What is ectoplasm? Ecto what? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to come back and say it harder. Ectoplasm. Ecto what? Well, then I would just go forever. Ectoplasm. (laughs) Anna Marie's whole segment is just us repeating the Okay. Well, I'm just going to continue on forward. <laughs> so ectoplasm is a term from the spiritualism movement that describes an exteriorized spiritual energy or substance. And it comes from the Greek words ectos, meaning outside, and plasma, meaning molded or formed. So in spiritualism, just for anyone who may not be familiar, uh, was I read it as a religious movement. But I don't know if that... I don't know enough about it to really say. It was more like a... Almost like a pop... Not even pop movement, but like... Like a fad? Right. Like a cultural movement. It was a cultural movement. Yeah. And like, you know, everybody knew a medium or a a spiritualist or something. And people were holding seances all the time. You know, it was kind of like a response. I think a lot of people say it was a response to like all the death and slaughter of like the civil war and Mm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah well that's why i mean i read somewhere it's and it said religious movement but i was a little like "Eh, i don't know well i don't know enough about it but i also didn't had never thought of it in that way but you want to claim it was this big thing right but but it you know as jake said it was a time where people believed the ghosts of the dead are both able and inclined to communicate with the living. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was going on around the 19th century, a little bit of the, the early 20th century as well. So during this time, mediums are people who claim to be able to communicate with spirits and to mediate between the worlds of the living and the dead were able to form ectoplasm when in a trance state. Um, so this substance was then excreted through the orifices of the body <clears throat> such as the mouth or the ears. And also, it could come out of the top of your head or your fingertips or other extremities. Like the end points. Yeah, basically. And then also... And the nips. Yeah, it could come out of your nipples or your vagina. That's so bad for you, I think. To have, yeah, well, we'll get, we'll get to some more about that later. I think maybe these people were just ill. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> maybe, well, we'll get to that. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. So, so during, like, within these trans states, um, the spirit was thought to have 
like would drape the ectoplasm over their non-physical body, which then would allow them to interact in and with the living world. Sorry, so so the ectoplasm is separate becomes from the Basically, literally the sheet that you throw over the ghost. Yes. <laughs> like, I think so in some cases. Interesting. See, I'd never heard that. That's yeah. Well, there. Are, so so I only saw ectoplasm in this one light as this mm-hmm. like weird ooze that comes out of mouths and ears and eyes of mediums. Yeah. But there are other like there are a lot of research has been done. Usually, like. I mean, a lot of it was in the early 20th century, I think, trying to figure out what the substance actually was and where it no. came from. So a lot of speculation about that, a lot of different theories, which I'll talk about a little bit But more. spirits would, like, run into it and become, like, covered in it? I think it's like it. an outfit they pick out. That's so interesting. I, I don't imagine it's just, like, over there, they run and they, like, <laughs> sort of spread out. <laughs> and it becomes just a person under a sheet (laughs) although there are ectoplasm three-piece suit or something (laughs) Mm, very stylish yeah um dapper yeah well there's so there's a picture that i'll show you guys a little bit later that kind of reflects this (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so the substance wasn't necessarily like static it would move and shift into various forms it looks like a lava lamp like a cloth yeah, both of those things. Yeah. Okay. And then also in some cases, the face of the spirit would emerge from the ectoplasm. Uh, so the participants in the seance would know who was trying to communicate. Interesting. Um, That's horrific. Go yes. On. Yes. <laughs> really tell quite. us more. <laughs> I will. So ectoplasm was seen as either a manifestation of the spirit itself, or it was also seen as a substance that exist just inherently within the human body as evidence of psychic abilities so again it's kind of like research into the origin of the substance itself um so if you dissected a psychic you might get some ectoplasm (laughs) and then become psychic (laughs) no i'm saying like if you were like oh that person's a psychic and you did a an autopsy Ectoplasm you would, would find be. Some ectoplasm yeah, you should in there. technically then find ectoplasm. In maybe, there. maybe, yeah. I'm not quite sure how that looks actually in terms of the anatomy of where, where are they keeping <laughs> it. Yeah. Ectoplasm is stored in the balls. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be surprising based on some of these other things that I will be telling you. So, this ectoplasmic manifestation was just one of what researchers called materializations. It also took on the forms of like touches to the cheek or hands of the participants uh, in the seance, slaps or caresses or breezes as as if someone were passing you. So this, these are all experiences that could be like, like the, that were with anything from a, like a gentle breeze to like a full on slap. Yes. Okay. Depending on the uh the temperament of the the spirit, I, I guess. All right. So also fingerprints or other marks could be seen on surfaces. Wait, that's considered ectoplasm. No, this is that's an example of, of materialization. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. But ectoplasm ectoplasm is like one of the highest forms of manifestation. Nice. Also, there are the sounds of bells ringing or ethereal music, and 
also offerings of flowers or other gifts uh, from the spirits. So other examples of ectoplasm coming forth during a seance include babies that would would drop from the medium's genitals and peer up behind the table when summoned by the medium. What? So there are these like pseudo births Um, that happen. So an ectoplasm baby just... Yes comes just comes Pops out, right out fully formed yep. and it stands up and peers over the table that's oh, what she just said when that's sum- so creepy <laughs> when summoned yes um, it's like a little demon baby <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't use the word summoned unless it's a demon baby <laughs> what does it just disappear with time like what it just sticks around you have to raise it yeah well i mean i don't really know okay. <laughs> does it go back into the balls <gasps> I don't know if it ever came from there. <laughs> um, so one medium named Mina Crandon, who is also known as the Witch of Lime Street, produced an ectoplasmic hand from her belly button. Wow, that Not seems cool. useful. That's actually useful. Yeah, like they're... when your hands are full and you need to open a door. It's like perfect. Yeah, wow. That is perfect. I would imagine that's not cool if you're like, you're giving someone a hug. And then there's another (laughs) hand. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? (laughs) Oh, just my ectoplasmic limb. It's fine. (laughs) Also, there are full uh, apparitions that would appear out of a dim smoke. And then white glowing hands would appear from the darkness. So then to get to more of the material of ectoplasm itself, some say that it begins clear almost invisible, but then darkens and becomes more visible as the medium's psychic energy strengthens. So it really only appears in the darkness, too. Um, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, Ectoplasm can emit a strong odor. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask when we were trying to determine what kind of bodily fluid it was. I was like, what does it smell like? Yeah, well, I looked that up, too, because the answer was not readily available. Decaying. Um, But you found it here. But I found it. And it says that it smells like ozone, which what I... What does that smell like? I had, so I had no idea, but I, I looked that up too. And like <laughs> literally if type... you smell ozone, it like means something bad. It means a storm is coming. Okay. Yeah. But what or is... like you had a stroke it, or something. It's a very sharp smell that kind of smells like chlorine, I guess. Okay. That, yeah, I had no idea. I, I googled literally, what does ozone smell like? Because I had no frame of reference. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I still don't. I guess chlorine, huh? Yeah. Like you're I, sitting next to a pool, maybe. So that's what ectoplasm smells I, like is a nice vacation. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Out by the pool. That's what Anne Marie's telling us. Or like a storm is coming. Not mutually exclusive, I guess. No. Not mutually exclusive. Like a storm is coming While you're by sitting the by the pool. Mm-hmm doesn't sound good yeah you're opening doors with your belly button (laughs) sounds like sounds like our next summer vacation (laughs) so this french physician named gustave gailey who was i guess what the kids these days call a physical site i'm sorry a psychical researcher describes ectoplasm as quote very variable in appearance being sometimes vaporous sometimes a plastic paste sometimes a bundle of fine threads or a membrane with swellings or fringes or a fine fabric-like tissue. So, as you can see, there are a lot of different interpretations of the ectoplasm. Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a well-known believer in um, the spiritualism movement, 
and who also frequently took photos of ectoplasm um, in mediums during seances, describes ectoplasm as, quote, a viscous, gelatinous substance which appeared to differ from every known form of matter in that it could solidify and be used for material purposes. Ooh, why would, what? Leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Play-Doh. And he's like, oh, well, I could, I have so many uses for this. Just <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> make, make an ectoplasm jello mold or something. All of his kitchenware is made of ectoplasm. <laughs> Got a nice ectoplasm coating on my nonstick pan. Oh, so <laughs> disgusting. It's really good for a skillet. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty. Also, so ectoplasm, if touched or pinched... Sometimes the medium would cry out as if it were an extension of them, or it would like snap back into the medium's orifice like a rubber band. No. That happened a lot too if light shone on it. So if they were in a dark room and all of a sudden light came in, it would just. Oh, change back in. You're not supposed to look too closely. Yeah. Don't touch it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. This feels fake to me. Charlatans. So people, like I said, also studied ectoplasm to learn more about this very mysterious substance. So one of those people was Charles Robert Richet, who actually won the Nobel Prize. Not for ectoplasm. I was like, wow, this research must have been revolutionary. (laughs) No, it was for, it was was in physiology or medicine. I think it was anaphylaxis, but I'm not, don't quote me on that. I don't quite remember. That's okay. But he was one of the first people to take on this research in 1890 and was actually the person 1890 wow that seems to that's be the episode name that the seems gay 90s. The gay 90s. <laughs> seemed to be the thread here but he was actually the person to coin the term ectoplasm and he he saw it as a substance within all human beings which could be excreted during times of hysteria and of course all mediums were hysterics because of course most mediums were women Oh, those hysterical women. Just to faint away from death. Or maybe this episode is about the patriarchy. Like I said, I feel like every episode's going to be (laughs) There's going to be this underlying. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, but he described ectoplasm as, quote, In the early stages, there are always white veils in milky patches, and the faces, fingers, and drawings are formed little by little in the midst of this kind of gelatinous paste that resembles moist and sticky muslin. No. (laughs) That feels very Lovecraftian to me. Yeah. It feels like the gooey slime of, like, Very primordial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yum. Yum. <laughs> so another person to do some research on this was a neurologist named Jules Bernard Luis, um, who conducted experiments which showed that the bodies of these, quote, hysterics underwent a spasmodic consumption of energy and gave off a radiating neural force in the forms of a luminous liquid that flooded out of the bodily orifices. So he also used photographic plates... To show that emotions and ideas cause a discharge from the body. So the way he would do this is he would hold a plate up to a medium's body and their body would then emit some sort of force, which would leave a corresponding impression on the plate. Was the force a punch? (laughs) Or was it like a psychical force? Uh, A psychical force? Okay. Okay. Is this like connected to like auras or like electromagnetic fields or s- stuff like that i'm not really yeah i'm or not magnetism. really 
I'm not really sure. I could see how it could. Um, I just didn't do enough digging into the research, cool. honestly, to say yes or no. I'm sure we'll be back in the 1890s. Someday oh, yeah. soon. Yeah. yeah. It seems to call us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then another person that did some research was Reverend Robert Cheney, who's also a medium, and he said that the medium's ectoplasmic body exists between the cells of her physical body and vibrates between the spiritual and physical forms. And the medium must project ectoplasm from her own body and draw it near the bodies of the participants in the seance like a magnet in order for spirits spirits to materialize. So the spirit then appears in its astral substance. But if this process is not completed, the medium then takes on the spirit's appearance and assumes part of the spirit in a process called transfiguration. Ooh. I don't like that either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is this like in all those scenes of like seances and movies where like the medium starts talking like a little kid? Yes. I think and so. It's like yes. really, yeah. Have you seen A Haunting in Connecticut? That's the movie we were thinking so about. So I distinctly remember in like maybe middle school mm-hmm. seeing a scene of ectoplasm coming out of this medium's mouth and like being all like crazy. Yes. And, and I remember me and my brother were just like terrified yes. by it. Uh, I don't remember what the movie was. It may have been a haunting in Connecticut. Now I want to go back and rewatch it. I but, I, but I was just telling Amory that I bet if I went back and watched that movie, it'd be kind of funny. Yeah. Probably. I was so, I did watch it when I was like in middle school and yeah. I was so scared of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, a lot of ectoplasm stuff. And every time I think of it, that's what I picture. It looks mm-hmm. like, like, like this a golden form. mercury yeah. fluid mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what I picture too. Probably because of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe we need to watch it together. That's what this is saying. Okay. So, so in addition to ectoplasm, there's this thing called ectenic force, which is associated with ectoplasm. And was hypothesized as being the cause of psychokinetic powers during seances. So things like table turning and tapping would be done through this ectenic force. And tapping was just like putting your hands on a table and waiting for it to start like... I don't know. Have you guys seen those like any examples of seances where everyone's like putting their hands on the table and then all of a sudden it starts like rocking mm-hmm. or tapping or spinning? That's what that is. Yes. Um, or they're, they're either all holding hands while on the table yes. or sometimes even like Ouija board movies, hands in the middle. That seems to be a common thing. Yeah. So actinic force is like the force by virtue of which those things get moved. Yes. Like the table gets moved. Yes. And it's like originating in the medium or it's originating with the spirit or... Well, that's the question. It depends on where you think ectoplasm comes from. Gotcha. Whether it be the... like I said, it comes from the balls. (laughs) Well, then it must come from the medium then. Or the, I guess, or the spirit, actually. have balls. That's true. Or the spirit. Either one. So it doesn't answer any questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So some psychical researchers also speculate at one point that there is an unknown fluid substance within the human body that they call the psychode, psychic force, or ectonic force. This could exist within the body, but somehow influence outside matter. Interesting. And others have said that this force caused levitation of objects and that the substance is invisible... In, wow, invisible. Invisible. <laughs> <Anemonemony>. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. 
Um, and that this substance is invisible but can be felt by the body and captured only through flash photography. And this was a time when photography was like the thing, right? Yeah, and okay. just starting out, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to move on to an example of one of these mediums that worked with ectoplasm, and her name is Eva Carrere. And she was a, a French medium and considered the queen of ectoplasm for her ability to produce ectoplasm and ectoplasmic bodies. So there were two people who were kind of looking into her work, and one was researcher Juliette Bisson, and the other was a physician named Barden Albert von Schneck. Oh, goodness. Okay. I like it. <laughs> this is so difficult. Um, Barden Albert von Schreck. Not Zing. Um, A German. Very, yes, definitely German. Um, and they would scrutinizingly search Carrere's body for any evidence that she was a fraud. Um, so, for example, bef- before shows, they would thoroughly examine her vagina and in a letter to Schrecht, not Zing, Bassan talks about what she saw at one of Carrere's seances. Um, especially after doing these searches. So she writes, quote, On my expressing a wish, the medium parted her thighs and I saw that material assumed a curious shape, resembling an orchid, decreased slowly and entered the vagina. During the whole process, I held her hands. Eva then said, Wait, we will try to facilitate the passage. She rose, mounted on the chair, and sat down on one of the armrests, her feet touching the seat. Before my eyes, and with the curtain open, a large spherical mass, about eight inches in diameter, emerged from the vagina and quickly placed itself on her left thigh while she crossed her legs. I distinctly recognized in the mass a still unfinished face whose eyes looked Ugh. at me. Whoa, no. Uh, so, sanitary. <laughs> I don't like it. Is ectoplasm so sanitary? <laughs> That's a good question. Does hand sanitizer take care of ectoplasm? (laughs) Google it quick. (laughs) Listeners, tell us. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's just one example of how people, especially women mediums, would use ectoplasm to create these, like... I mean, it sounds like this is, like, one of those pseudo-births. I've never heard of, like this birthing or like a pseudo birth being part of ectoplasm spirituality back then like with all this information we have or that i've heard about well one thing that i learned while doing research was that spiritualism especially with so many mediums being women Mm -hmm. like it gave them more agency in a way where they were able to create these seances and kind of hold this spiritual power over their audiences obviously Mm -hmm. but a lot of the male researchers as well and especially when you have things like ectoplasm coming out of the vagina. Yeah, no. I mean, a male psychic couldn't do that. No. Yeah. Exactly. Physically um, impossible. Yes. It Unless seems it, it seems kind of like that kind of that trick where you can get a cherry stem in your mouth and then tie it in a knot and spit it out. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of like that with ectoplasm in the vagina. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really good segue into my next section. Just <laughs> no way. <laughs> which is a, about um, fraud oh, and nice. <laughs> how uh, a lot of these like ectoplasmic occurrences were like 
seen or discovered as fraudulent. So after a lot of research, people were able to see how mediums were creating this ectoplasm themselves. So, for example, some would swallow and then regurgitate cheesecloth, or ectoplasm would be made of like egg whites, paper, cloth, or muslin. So they were hiding these things in their bodies. This, I think, this is the part I heard about from some other story. Yeah. Which sounds so disgusting. Yeah. you got to really be committed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know. And, and so they would just throw it throw up. Throw it up like, and then like during a seance? swallow it again. Like you have to be willing to swallow your puke to yeah. reabsorb it. Because if you leave it behind, then people are going to be like, well, it's a cloth. Yeah. Or they're going to start like testing it and then be able to be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is <laughs> clearly... Vomit. <laughs> but how do you do that with your nipples? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, know. with your mouth or your nose? Maybe even with your vagina. I'm, yeah. I'm less acquainted with how that works I don't know how you slurp something level. back up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Like, but I just, mean, I just mean with... There's a lot of orifices that it makes sense that you could do that with. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be a few that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, does it come... You said it can come out of the top of your head? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that they... A lot of mediums had assistance, too. Yeah. Also, I just want to show you guys a picture of... um, I'm going to link this in the show notes, too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. Of just someone trying to have, like, a full body appearance and it just... Um, looks so fake. Ectoplasm gone wrong. Yeah. I'm going to stand up so I can see it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so basically, it's this woman who's a medium and she's blindfolded. And attached to her eyes is this sheet standing upright with a mask. A very poorly done mask. Uh, it as- looks like a bad Halloween costume. Yes. Yeah, and masks were used. And that's... Like, you know how I described the faces appearing from the ectoplasm? So some people would use newspaper or magazine clippings and then pin them to the cloth. And they would use masks to do the same thing. So that it would look like a face was appearing, but it was... Hmm. And people would... And some people could actually recognize, like, the newspaper or magazine clippings (laughs) in photos that were taken of these seances. And it's so dark. I, yeah. I imagine it's pretty overwhelming. Everything's really, really dark. And it happens so fast that yeah. anyone in there could, under the right persuasive environment, mm-hmm. could believe that what they're yeah. seeing is ectoplasm. Yeah, it's probably very, like, simultaneously, like, overstimulating and then understimulating. Because like, you're not, well, not understimulating, but, like, mm-hmm. you're, there are certain senses that are deprived mm-hmm. in some way. Like, it's dark in there so you can't see very well but the medium's probably speaking a lot there's probably a lot of motion going on Mm -hmm. you're probably also like really suggestible Mm -hmm. and like with the medium or the assistant like narrating the whole thing telling you what you're seeing yeah like that you know that counts for a lot right exactly and if you're willing to go to a medium chances are you're probably more willing to believe it so, and be suggested by it. Yeah, but this is something I was thinking about when, when ectoplasm came up. I was like, I can like understand 
go into a medium and I can understand like the idea of seances and things, Mm -hmm. but like ectoplasm as a concept makes zero sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think because seances became such a performance during that time, everything had to be very, like it had to be externalized in some way. So this was their external proof that ghosts or spirits are communicating. Yeah. I, think, I could see that. Like, after a while, it's like, yeah. oh, I heard a ghost. And then other people are like, well, they Prove said it. they heard a ghost. And then over time, I could see it getting more and more extreme. Yeah. To now it's you like a magician's more, act. Yeah. yeah, you're pushing exactly. it. And if you're in the dark, you can get away with it. I think the one thing that does make sense to me, and the interesting thing about ectoplasm, is if it is actually like a bodily fluid that we have it like makes sense of like the way because like it's a halfway physical halfway spiritual substance Mm -hmm. it like makes sense of the of like the way that we are capable of communicating with like non-physical entities or something like that like there's Mm -hmm. something in our body that like lets us do that Mm -hmm. you know so like the link between the embodiment of the medium and the and the sort of communication with disembodied spirits i think it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's very interesting the vomit though <laughs> is too much for me can't get can't vomit, get over that she's cloth <laughs> well we'll end it on or this note whites. all right so i found a recipe for edible ectoplasm <laughs> <laughs> How do you make it? Um, Something you do a spit take over there. <laughs> well, let me let me pull it up. Is it just meringue? <laughs> <laughs> no. So let me tell you how to make ectoplasm your ectoplasm. Slime. Oh my goodness. So it's really only four ingredients. You have um, water. Okay. Food coloring, which is optional. Glow paint or pigment, which is also optional, and then one teaspoon of soluble fiber. So you can get your your fiber in there with some Metamucil. <laughs> so this is just really fibrous water. Yes. All right. That's it. And you can make it glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> glow in the dark fiber. Yes. Wow. So gross. That's it. Healthy. Healthy. Yeah. Nice. Nice job, Anne Marie. That was so weird. Yeah, <laughs> good. That's what I was going for. Oh, awesome. That's, that's that's perfect. I love. I just love that time period and that scene yeah. of like. Me too. I love the whole spiritualism, like mm-hmm. seances and and weird stuff that was happening with like photography mm-hmm. and, yeah. and technology at the time and all the advances in like electricity and magnetism and how people thought that was like all spiritual and. I don't know. It was just a very cool time to to be into that stuff. Yeah, and even in realizing that a lot of the ectoplasm and stuff is probably fraudulent, the pictures are still really creepy. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, just, yeah. Mark those down as nightmare material. Definitely, definitely nightmare material. Even the one that I showed you guys with the fake... Yeah, very clearly fake mess. No context with that picture. That looks like that one looks like when Michael Scott had a paper mache self <laughs> on his shoulder. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does actually. But that that is weird in its own. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. It's 
also a little unsettling. Yeah. So. Right on. Great. Okay. Great show. unsafe you can find us on instagram at weird obscure podcast and you can find us on the tweeter at weird obscure pod no cast just weird obscure pod and uh while we're at it hey matt you listening matt baker hey buddy thank you thank you for all that you do most especially our logo artwork a very cool logo yeah Matt Baker's the bomb, and if you have any um, graphic design needs... He's your guy. Matt Baker is your guy. And also, thanks to you, Jake, for our pretty rad music. Oh shucks. <laughs> I didn't even tell her to say that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Alright, well, it's been real. It's been real good. It's been too real. That's a wrap. Bye. Bye. Bye.